Mm-hmm. Start the show. Thank you. <sighs> Hi, and welcome to the Kent Now podcast. I'm Mayor Dana Ralph. In this podcast, you will hear from city leaders, city workers, and engaged residents. We discuss local news, current events, and provide educational and engaging content for the Kent resident who wants to stay plugged into our community. Thanks for listening. Now here are our hosts, Josh Mossberg and Tracy Taylor. Uh, 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 uh. It's a rave. Say that every time, don't I? You do. Okay. You really do. Okay. Fist pumping. It is happy episode number 23, everybody. Welcome back. Hi, Kyle. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome, guys. Kevin held it down for you last time. I know. I'm sorry. Thank you. It's okay. Uh, boy, we've got a lot to talk about in this episode there, Josh. Yep. It's uh, it's action-packed and jam-fold. It, wait, right? what? <laughs> it's jam-fold and action-packed. Well, yep. what kind of jam are we talking about, though? Information. Okay. I love it. The jam of information. Lots of it. The wind is howling, the rain is falling, and the leaves are everywhere. I thought there was going to be like a in word there, like leaves are blowing. That's what I thought. Oh, you want me to try it again? No, it's okay. okay. <laughs> well, I said the wind was blowing and the oh, leaves you did. are. I did. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mm. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, so we've got leaves everywhere. I know a lot of people, and I don't know about you, but in the neighborhood, they are blowing their leaves into other people's yards, and if not, into the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Mm. That's a big no-no. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, my apartment, they, uh, the people are going around putting the leaves in the piles um, with the leaf blowers, mm-hmm. and then they're scooping them up. So, yeah, love that. Uh, I saw someone, like, drive into a pile the other day, so that was <laughs> Wait, funny. what? Like, the car? Yeah, like, the car. Like, oh. I, I don't know if they, they like, swing it into a parking space that there was a big pile on, and then they, like, just drove into it, and then the people that had just put it there, like, the grounds maintenance crew, like, looked at each other, like, like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh. Are you kidding? Yeah, <laughs> you thanks. Yeah. Get so. your get your broom. You're joining us on yep. that one. And, and it's prohibited by Kent City Code 7.14. Can't what, do it. What is? Blowing your leaves into the street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, the street's for driving, not for leaf storage. All right? <laughs> it can't compost there. <laughs> all right? So put storage. it into your compost bin and call it good. Mm-hmm. So now Halloween is over and we're moving into thankful month. Yes, we are. We got all of our spookiness out. Um, hopefully everyone was able to channel their spooky energy and mm-hmm. had a great time over Halloween and uh, Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. And we are moving on to thankfulness and we are moving on to Native American Heritage Month, Tracy. Oh, love it. Uh, Native American Heritage Month, we recognize this uh, every year here in the city of Kent. Um, it's really a national recognition time to kind of celebrate. You know, we, we talk a lot about, about the cultural diversity here in the city. And yeah. this is kind of dedicated to the rich and diverse cultures, the traditions, histories of Native people. Um, you know, they have a lot of significant contributions to our city, to our region, to our nation. Uh, the city of Kent is actually on the traditional land of the Duwamish and Muggleshoot people, their ancestral land. Mm-hmm. And so we want to honor them, uh, the people, uh, past and present that inhabit it. And Mayor Ralph will be uh, doing a proclamation at the Kent City Council meeting. Yep, next week. Yep. Um, we have also a great exhibit 
as a part of the Kent, uh, the Greater Kent Historical Society Museum. Um, one of the members, uh, Michael, there, Michael, yep. yep. He what did the um, the welcoming figure. He is yep. the vice president of the Kent Historical Society. The vice Board. president, right? Uh, yeah. So a welcoming figure, which is different from a totem, mm-hmm. something like that, because here in the Pacific Northwest, um, that is not part of their tradition. Right. Um, they're welcoming figures. So be welcome. Check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also be posting mm-hmm. about it online on our social media, uh, and so just celebrating that native culture and history this month. There's a really good video about the welcoming uh, figure mm-hmm. that our intern, we who we talked to, Isaac, shot that was also nominated for right. a um, for an award. And you can check it out on our YouTube page uh, for the city of Kent. All right. Also happening in November is the 2023 general election. The 18-day voting period is ongoing. Uh, election day is coming up on Tuesday, November 7th, just a few days away here. Make sure to drop off your ballot by 8 p.m. Uh, to make sure your voice and vote counts. Very important. Um, you know, if you are registered to vote, um, definitely exercise that right and get your ballot in. Uh, the deadline to register to vote online has passed, but you can still register in person up until the deadline. So if you haven't registered to vote, do that. If you want to check your registration status or your ballot status, you can go to votewa.gov. And we actually do have a a few Dropbox locations here in Kent. Uh, There is one at the Kent Panther Lake Library, one at the Kent YMCA, and one at the Regional Justice Center. So you can either drop your ballot in those Dropboxes or mail it in for free, no postage required. We love that. We also have a lot of uh, beautiful new art. Our Kent Arts Commission has put together uh, some just wonderful things to see throughout the city, one of which is what's happening right now at the Greenways uh, along Willis. And it's always a good time when new art is installed. It's called the Blue Spoonbill. You ready for that? Okay. Spoonbill. Yes. So artist Matt Babcock put this together, this sculpture. It's a part of that Willis Street Greenway sculpture uh, exhibition, rather. It's on display for the next two years. It's located at the north side of Willis Street near the 4th Avenue roundabout. So just as you're kind of walking through there or as you drive by, you're going to be able to see that. There's also another sculpture that's coming to the south side of that street here in the next couple of weeks as well. Exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Love the public art. So we have some good news coming out of Public Works outside of Dave Brock, who is going to join us about our robust winter weather plan, Kyle. It's you, true. You ready for some numbers? I'm always ready for numbers. So Tony Donati coming through saying, you know, our recycling events have been pretty darn successful this year. We Absolutely. love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, totals from their final recycling event for the year. Uh, there was over 1,200 vehicles. Okay, 235 mattresses. So everybody is ready to get rid of their mattress and get a new one. Good. 353 tires. I'm not sure how how that works, but there was 353 tires. Josh, this is outstanding. 45,000, over 45,000 pounds of scrap metal. Whoa. What would you do with 45,000 pounds of scrap metal? Could you build a car? Could That's you, a great question. I, I'd melt it down and and make it make sculpture? A, something. 
Make something. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah. That's a lot of Make pounds. a giant cube. Ooh. Put it put it in front of my house. Giant paperweight. I yeah. love it. A paperweight. <laughs> yep. Forty five thousand pound paperweight. I love it. Uh, there was five hundred and forty pounds of styrofoam, over eleven thousand pounds of paper shredded. So all of your Safeway ads are now gone. Yep. All those um, all those advertisements. All the credit card company. Right. Got my new offer pre-approved. Yeah, they, those can go right in the shredder. Thanks for those. <laughs> pre-approved. And over 7,750 pounds of electronics. So wow. all of those old tube TVs, you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Okay. You know what uh, strikes me as the most crazy is the 400, 540 pounds of styrofoam. Because styrofoam, doesn't. I don't feel like that, that weighs a lot. So that's got to be like... A lot of styrofoam, <laughs> I mean, right? Right, yeah. I, it's a lot of packaging. Well, yeah, if you think about it, are they the styrofoam peanuts, though, or are those the mm. big blocks, you know, that they put True, in TVs or something? I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that, um, you know, we have an a- Amazon distribution center here oh, in Kent, so people just call. getting all those packages. They probably, probably a lot of styrofoam <laughs> coming there. There's also an Ikea in Renton. True. Some, you know. So, a lot yeah. of styrofoam with that Ikea so, stuff. <laughs> Oh, yes, sir. So all in all, um, so that, that those are kind of by the numbers on our la- on our most recent recycling event. Mm-hmm. Overall, though, okay, crazy numbers as all well. Right. In 2023 alone, these residential recycling events, and keep in mind, these don't actually include our mini recycling events. Oh, oh. Um, so that's separate. Overall, 2023 total, 566 tons of material what? on its way to what? be recycled. Heck. Do we know how much that, that that's got to be like 1,700 elephants, right? I, that's <laughs> probably. Do we, do we typically measure things in elephant? I do. Gear? I Yeah, okay. I do. In elephants. That's our <laughs> wow. new system. Certainly preferable to the system we have here. True. That's okay. All right. All right. So on the topic of sustainability mm-hmm. and conservation and recycling and all the good good in that department... Uh, our fall curbside cleanup is coming up. Uh, Kent has an annual spring and fall curbside cleanup. Uh, it's basically a program where, you know, residents can get rid of their extra yard waste mm-hmm. and garbage. So not just recycling the paper and the electronics and the scrap, but that kind of organic stuff. Um, you know. Leaves. Leaves. Lots of them. So get them out of those storm drains. <laughs> right. Get them into some bags. Hold on. Okay. Holding. Uh, Kyle. How do you get rid of the leaves in the storm drains? Hmm? 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 Yeah, what's your secret technique? My secret technique for yeah. removing them? Yeah. I mean... Don't you have names for your storm drains? I did. Yeah, I adopted three drains, catch basins rather, by my house. Mm. Um, Larry, Curly, and Mo. That's what they're named. Oh. Yep. Um, we have a, <laughs> a handy-dandy shovel and a handy-dandy um, shop broom. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They say you're not supposed to open them, so we just uh, clean op- off the tops. Wait, open the storm drains? Yeah. Oh, because there could the be an evil clown hiding yep. down oh, there. Oh, I didn't even think about that with the red balloon. <laughs> yeah. And the yellow... Yep. Red, could still, I maybe. mean, I know Halloween's over, but he could still be down there. Uh, true. I'm not, I'm not checking. Okay. So I wouldn't either. Yeah. Without opening them, I uh, gingerly brush the leaves off got and it. make sure that they're not clogged because they are always clogged by my house for sure. We've got another cur- uh, conservation thing happening too since we're going to talk about sustainability we're just going to stay on that train. Uh, we have our conservation event coming up here this weekend planting trees, shrubs, and pollinator plants Ooh. at this year's Arbor Day event celebrating Kent's 
not 21st, Josh. It's their 22nd year as Whoa. a tree city USA. And during the Let's event, go. I know, right? During the event, uh, they're going to be working in an area formerly taken over by invasive blackberries that was cleared by previous volunteers and Kent Park staff. So the community members of all ages are welcome to join them once again, clear out some more of that blackberries and plant some new trees. Yep. Yes. They're going to do it. And it's going to be happening at Moral Meadows Park, November 4th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., uh, we'll have that Facebook event up and uh, event on our city website calendar at Kentwall.gov. Love it. Plenty of opportunities to get involved, uh, do your part, and help take care of our environment. I love me some, now that we're into November, I love me some holiday shopping. And what a better way than to join the Kent Parks Holiday Craft Market. I I'm, love crafts. I do too. I'm looking for pot holders, you know? Okay. That's what I want. Pot holders. Always. Pot holder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. pot like holders. to hold your pot or to hold your pots? Pot, pots. Pot holders. Oh. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was going to say I have a few pot hold, pots holders. Pot holders. What? What? Sorry, never mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's the annual event taking place. It's a great time to kind of stop in. You get all those really fun things that you missed out at the farmer's market. You can find here at that craft market too. It's true. They are going to be, I believe, at the Kent Senior Center. Uh, that is going to happen on Friday from 9 to 5 and then Saturday from 9 to 4. They're going to have like those macaroni uh, doodling papers. Doodling paper. Oh, you mean the, yeah, the, the art? The little macaroni art. I love. I love crafts. Is that Same. Yeah. Puffy paints. Puffy paints. Yeah. Embroidery. I love that stuff. All right. Something else coming up here um, and actually going into the new year is our Spotlight Series. It is back. Uh, this is similar to our Kent Summer Concerts, except it's not summer, um, but they are Kent. Yes. So um, they're not going to be happening outdoors at our parks. They're going to be happening at mostly like you know, theaters and such. Mm -hmm. um, Performing arts centers. Yep, those. Yep. The Bolding Family's musical celebration. It, uh, really celebrating and bringing in the holiday season. And it's a treasured tradition, it says is here. Is it? Is it? We treasure it. I love it. Uh, so once again, Pam and Philip Bolding are joined by their children, grandchildren, and guests for an afternoon of enchanting Yuletide music. It's the Yuletide concert. Yuletide, when I, when I hear that word, I just get all... Christmassy. Christmassy. I would imagine. It's just, we're just yuling and tiding. They're going to be performing on Celtic harps, hammered dulcimers. I don't even I know, know what that, that is. is. Uh, whistles, strings, percussion, and harp-like instruments. Wow, I just imagine angels coming down with the harps, soothing with the yules and the tides. That's what it's like. The guests add Irish step dancing. So they're going to be stepping and dancing and drumming and storytelling it's going to be crazy. So it's happening December 3rd at 3 p.m. at the Kent Meridian Performing Arts Center. For real, though, it's a great opportunity for you and your family, friends. Uh, you know, dress up in your ugly sweaters, get mm -hmm. all situated, um, all themed, you know, have a good meal before, bring you a little hot chocolate. Yeah. Kick back. I mean, it, I can't imagine a better way to start off the Yuletide season without seeing this. I mean, you need wait, some what? Yuletide in your well, life to uh, totally. start the Yuletide season. Of course. So go check it out. All of the info. Wait, what? No, that didn't make any sense, did it? What? Wait, what? Did I just... Tracy is buffering. I am. <laughs> I had to think. It's like, did I say that right? Uh, yeah. So not a better way to uh, start off it. the Yuletide season 
than going to see the Kent Spotlight Series with the Bolding family. Get more info at kentwatt.gov slash parks, right? That's not a real okay, link. Okay, what is um, it then? You would probably want to do kentwatt.gov slash events. Oh, events. The event calendar. Got it. Tracing. Okay, well, all right. Well, we'll just do that then. <sighs> Yeah, still buffering. <laughs> still, still buffering. Still, still trying over here. Uh, registration is open for the 510K fun run and walk the Christmas rush. We are thinking about running in the cold. We love it, especially kicking off. As a matter of fact, that run kicks off Winterfest on that Saturday. Oh, yeah, yes. Winterfest. So you need to sign up to get your T-shirt for the winter Christmas rush run. Is that deadline passed? No, November 9th. Yay. 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 We love it. So yeah, you have until the 9th to get your t-shirt. So go check it out. Uh, registration is now open. So you want to know a funny story, Kyle, while you were gone? Sure. Uh, Kevin just decided to hit that button multiple times. Oh, really? Because he... Yeah, he just did. <laughs> we couldn't get him to stop, to be honest with you. Hitting the Digino yeah, button? Yeah, the Digino button. It's a good button. Poor Josh was like, Kevin, stop. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> yeah, he was Yikes. getting real into it. Definitely. All right, so let's talk Digino. All right, so this week's Digino, you know, we, uh, we're talking about leaves, we're talking about water, we're mm -hmm. talking about flooding in winter. So yep. we've got an interesting story, bit of backstory about Kent floods. Love it. The Great Flood, oh. it's called, of 1905. <gasps> I was not born yet. Slash six. Um, <laughs> Neither were you. Nope. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it was. All right. So we, uh, we're setting the stage here. The story kicks off. In 1905, there's a tale uh, from the ancient text. We pull this tale of a group of Stuck River farmers who were going to dynamite a dam uh, that diverted water from the White River into the Stuck River so that the Green River would take more water. Oh. They hired expert miners from Black Diamond and ultimately used 2,500 pounds of dynamite. Uh, so that's a big kaboom that, that situation. Is, that's a large kaboom. That's a yeah. lot. <laughs> I just get some like wily coyote visual, you know, thinking about nope. that. No. No Sorry. explosion Kay. sound. All right. Sorry. Um, so while more highly orchestrated than most, it wasn't really uncommon for farmers to blow up parts of the riverbanks to guide the water where they wanted it to go. That's crazy that that was a thing. <laughs> um, the point of most of the contention here was where the White River split just south of Auburn. Okay. Uh, many efforts were made by northern farmers to send more water south. And while uh, southern farmers tried to turn more water north, and at times, groups of armed farmers patrolled key points in the river to deter would-be demolitionists. So the dynamite river <laughs> farmer wars of wow. 1905, crazy. Um, so, right, this culminates in uh, 1906, a November flood. Kind of put a bow on this situation. Okay. Uh, a massive log jam happened, um, which developed into a dam on the White River and forced all the water south into the Stuck River. Okay. So to avoid further complications, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers came in, studied the problem, and it was decided that the dam should remain, but that King County would have to pay 60% of the cost for flood control in the Stuck River Basin. On the map, um, you can actually see this on the kenthistoricalmuseum.org website. Uh, there's a red line south of Auburn that represents uh, that dry riverbed. 
And since the White River no longer flowed through Kent, the river through Kent was renamed the Green River. And so that's how we got the name of the Green River. So the Green River still overflowed its banks every two years or so, uh, with particularly bad years, 1917, 1933, and 1946. Okay. In 1933, actually, uh, 11,600 acres of valley land was flooded oh. at a cost of $1.75 million, which is around $32 million today. That's a lot. So that's a lot of flooding. Uh, there's actually, like, photos you can see online, too, of, like, people in downtown Kent, like— in a canoe, like canoeing through the streets. Stop. So that's pretty fun. Um, and then, so what What? What to do about all this, right? Right. Uh, kind of fast forwarding here. So in the 1930s, uh, there were a few different proposals, including digging a canal from Kent to Lake Washington or uh, diverting the winter waters into the Cedar River. And it was ultimately deemed too expensive to build up the levees. It would require a lot going into that, right? Um, one interesting solution that was panned was to construct a two-mile-long tunnel so that the river could flow right into the Puget Sound. So that, But the biggest effort was made at the federal level with okay. the completion in 1961 of the Eagle Gorge Dam on the Green River east of Auburn. To be called today uh, the Howard Hansen Dam oh. in honor of the man who had led the civic and government groups in the kind of effort to get the dam made. That's a little bit of history about flooding, about rivers, the dynamite farmers just blowing up parts <laughs> of the river. Um, just to crazy. get things going. Yeah, they just water wars. Oh my gosh. It's like uh, Mad Max out there. <laughs> well, yeah, especially with all that dynamite. A little greener, but you know. Yeah. It's all explosions. Sorry, did I do that too early? Though? No, it's okay. All right, Tracy. So this week, and Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. Uh, we have a few different special guests um, that are going to be talking a little bit about how the city of Kent prepares for winter weather. We have a really robust winter weather plan, but there is somebody right behind that plan who we like. We just love it when he walks into the office because he's always smiling, really happy. Uh, one of our directors, Dave Brock. Dave Brock's here on the pod. Hi, Dave. Hi, good afternoon. Dave Brock. I'm a deputy public works director uh, with the operations and maintenance division and brought a couple of uh, staff members with me today that um, got a lot of experience in uh, winter weather. And I want to introduce them. Brought Bill Thomas. He's our street and vegetation maintenance manager. And Brent Collins, our street maintenance supervisor. Fantastic. Well, we're one, glad that you're here. We kind of want to get into a couple of things. I mean, before we start talking about snow and ice, let's talk a little bit about the leaves and the rain. I mean, obviously that is such a nuisance, not only for us as residents, but for you guys in public works too. Yes. Yeah. The leaves, uh, as the season's changing, are a maintenance uh, issue for us. So we dedicate a lot of time, uh, specific routes, especially uh, Lake Fenwick comes to mind just on removing leaves. Uh, during the raining season, as it uh, comes forth, we do respond to a lot of calls in terms of leaves clogging grates. Mm -hmm. uh, those grates are to catch basins, the inlets that allow water off the roadways into the underground drainage system. And so staff respond to those calls, clearing those um, locations. Uh, you may see those in your neighborhoods as well. And if you happen to see those, we always appreciate the assistance 
of uh, residents also helping us clear those grates. Oh yeah, I think Kyle mentioned something about how uh, he adopted a few drains in his city. Yeah, we need a program like that. I totally Maybe we can look into that. I know we have our adopt a street and adopt a spot, mm -hmm, but uh, mm -hmm. we gotta take it to the next level. Definitely. So now that the leaves, we're trying to clear the leaves and stuff like, and and all the junk that comes into those grates, it comes back to flooding. I mean, we run into that quite a bit. And it's not just our city, it's everywhere. But what does our public works department do to make sure that we don't have problems like that? Yeah, uh, I'll take that on, guys. Um, um, we actually prepare for the fall and the, the winter season. We have uh, we prepare pretty much all summer long uh, in doing that. We have staff dedicated to maintaining the storm drainage system. And through that time period, we are cleaning ditches, uh, restoring capacity, uh, we are also cleaning lines and catch basins to maintain or to restore the capacity that may be diminished uh, from material that's actually within those systems. So we spend the summer season uh, actually going through and uh, doing that preparation work. And then into the fall season, uh, before the, the big rains really arrive, uh, we do have staff that go around in some of the smaller rains. And we have identified areas in the city just making sure uh, that we check just to make sure that those systems are operating appropriately. A lot of important work, a lot of great uh, investment and improvements have gone into our stormwater system in recent years. I mean, Kent Valley, you know, we're in a floodplain here, mm -hmm. uh, tend to flood. You look back in history and we're actually going to share a little bit more info about this in our fun fact later. Love um, it. But there's been a good amount of flooding in Kent's history and just in the valley. But um, there's been a lot of great work. Uh, that our public works department has done. Uh, the council and mayor have made you know, substantial investments to our overall uh, stormwater and drainage system. Things like pump station improvements, improvements to the Mill Creek Dam. So uh, it's definitely, you know, as I understand it, an ongoing sort of thing that you just got to grapple with every year, but we're, we're hoping we get just better and better. Absolutely. Um, my history with Kent has been, I'm a Kent native, uh, so I've lived in Kent for a little over 50 years and seen a lot of improvements done uh, to address flooding. Uh, specifically, uh, I know Bill and Brent also recall West Valley Highway uh, mm. near Smith Brothers mm -hmm. used to go underwater uh, annually. <laughs> and uh, that road uh, was raised by the Public Works Department to alleviate that flooding. You mentioned uh, pump station improvements, certainly done improvements to several uh, pump stations, uh, James Street being one. Uh, back in the mid-90s, I remember uh, vividly when water was over Central Avenue at James Street. Oh People my. are walking in water almost knee deep wow. on Central Avenue. So Central Avenue has got a lot of attention or the James Street uh, area of Central Avenue with uh, piping systems under Central, the pump station at James Street, as well as the upper Mill Creek Dam uh, in recent years that you've uh, referenced as well. So a lot of improvements have been done to the drainage system. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know you mentioned the road raising. Is that, that's a different spot. I remember, uh, what was it, like 76th? by Blue Origin that was recently raised up. Uh, is that still ongoing or is that complete? No, yes, it is. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. 76th Avenue, south of 212th um, mm -hmm. and north of 228th. Uh, several projects have been done there in recent years. The north end of 76 mm -hmm. has been raised several feet to alleviate flooding. Uh, more of a central location has been done. And then there's another phase also coming uh, towards the southern end, if you will, of 76 to raise that road along Mill Creek. So I actually, I drive by this every day. Uh, it happened recently, but the construction happening by the LA Fitness, it looked like there was a new pump station going in there? There is. Uh, that's what we refer to as the Washington Avenue pump station. Okay, uh, right Washington LA, Avenue. Uh, right. LA Fitness there. 
And uh, that's actually to replace a pump station on the west side of Washington Avenue that's existing right now. And so that pump station is being moved in advance of a future levy project. Mm-hmm. So oh, the wow. existing pump station isn't in the right location uh, <laughs> for that uh, setback levy that's coming uh, in the future. So we're re- relocating it to the east side of Washington Avenue. Fantastic. Area. Sweet. Yeah. A lot of planning, a lot of uh, projects being seen through. Definitely. And I mean, there's another... Uh, just aside from streets, I mean, other like uh, environmental and sustainability projects, just the Downey side channel restoration as right. an example of that also. A lot of good things happening. Absolutely. And also you're doing a lot of fish passage product projects as well, too. So that's really that's really exciting for the environmental standpoint. All right. So now that we've talked about flooding, this is like my favorite because I love winter weather and I love driving in it. I know. Call me crazy. Crazy. I, I am. <laughs> um, but I know that our team, our public works team works really, really hard, not only with your winter weather plan that's in place, robust plan for that matter, but walk us through what our public works department does to get ready for winter weather. Yeah, our preparations uh, for winter weather actually start well before winter. And so we get into those preparations more mid-summer uh, for the advancing um, season. I know, Brent, you've, you've done this many, many times. <laughs> uh, maybe you want to jump in and kind of talk about uh, some of the um, planning that's done in advance in terms of materials and equipment and uh, personnel. Yeah, sure, Dave. So like Dave's saying, um, you know, we we begin our winter our winter weather prep probably early September. Okay. Okay, and then, then we have 16 trucks. 14 of those trucks have uh, sanders on them. <clears throat> All 16 have plows, and we have a couple of sprayers, which we'll get into. But uh, each of these has to be gone through every year. All these same trucks are used throughout the summer is why, okay? So they're used for paving, they're used for hauling dirt, used for hauling rock, what have you. But So we have to go through them, make sure everything's everything okay with them. Uh, we take each one of them, load them up, and our mechanics all take a look at them. At the same time, um, you know, it's everything's about communication, especially in the winter. So uh, I'm part of the DOC, what's our Department Operations Center, in case you don't know. And um, it's another <laughs> one of our great acronyms. I love it. Right. So, uh, you know, we get members of the DOC, we'll get together early. Uh, we'll pre plan as well. Uh, you know, that has to deal with. Uh, you know, those that are involved in the DOC at the shop. But that's also, uh, you have to reach out to a lot of people outside of organizations, you know, with our neighboring cities, with Auburn, with Renton, with King County. Uh, you keep in touch with all of them. And, you know, we just touch base pretty much and make sure that all the numbers, the same people are working on their correct. So we have the proper people we can work, we can reach out to in case we have to work with each other. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I feel like whenever I hear any of you guys talk about the DOC, I imagine like, the situation room and there's like a big light that like with the DEFCON levels and then right. you guys all get in there and you got your right. monitors set up and you're all plugged in yep. with the, you know, I just full futuristic. That, that's what goes to my mind. That's funny you know? that you say that because that's how I envision that as well. It's like, okay, where are we at? Is it red, yellow, or green? Right. Yeah. I actually had the opportunity to check out the DOC once. Oh, we, good. We've posted some photos and it, it is cool. You guys got the boards, you're tracking, you see the map. Uh, yep. Very sophisticated, a lot more sophisticated, I think, than a lot of residents might think right. um, for us tracking and monitoring um, and coordinating the response, right? Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, so, yeah, everything does go through the DOC, you know, especially when the winter weather when winter weather hits. I won't go in too much, but since you asked, Josh, but yeah, it does. It all goes through there. We have ABL systems that uh, allow us to track the vehicles and they're not to, you know, some people think ABL tracking is like a, a bad thing, but it's not. <laughs> you know, especially when it comes to winter, it just allows us to know 
uh, you know, where it allows me to know where my trucks are, mm-hmm. where they have been, where I need to send them, you know, who's where. So I have to give somebody a call. I can send them from point A to point B, you know, the closest. Um, so yeah, there's, like I said, everything, everything goes through there. We get calls from, uh, you know, uh, local fire, local police, they all come through there in case they need any help. So there's, there's a lot of communication that goes through. It's some people may just think it's willy nilly out there with the trucks, but it's not, they're all, they're all strategically placed into places that help, uh, you know, okay. members that can't get through from, especially east to west and north to south, the best, the best that we can for them. Sure. So you mentioned str- the strategery, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you, how, what does that look like? How does our public works crew determine, you know, okay, so we have all these roads, these impacts, you know, some huge snow overnight. Where do you even start? Like, how do you pick and choose and, and how does that change throughout the day? Our thing is, uh, you know, we got our first priority roads. Our first priority roads are your major connections, okay? Those consider our lifelines. Um, those are the ones that basically get you, especially east and west. The reason being, because east and west is up and down. North and south is flat. Um, gotcha. Uh, so we, it's important for us to try to get people off of I-5 back up to East Hill and, and so forth. So, uh, we con- we really concentrate when the first snow hits on those East and West corridors. That's where you're going to see most of those. So for example, Veterans Drive, uh, Wreath Road, Canyon Drive, mm-hmm. 208, uh, 277. I won't name them all, but those, yeah. so you guys get the idea. We got to keep those open. Otherwise no one's getting home. Uh, so those are, those are our number ones. As far as, uh, our number twos. Traditionally, these are all uh, secondary collectors, I would call them. Uh, for example, uh, 132nd. Okay. Or minor arterials, I guess you can call them as well. But you're like 132nd and 116th will run you. So it's, you're talking some pretty busy roads, but they're not, they're not a main arterial. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we, then we can get all the way into our third priorities. Third priorities are, uh, I would say, are pretty much like your downtown streets. Uh, some of your neighborhood collectors, and for those that don't know, a neighborhood collectors, what we call, is everybody can, when you leave your driveway, and the first road you come to that mm-hmm. everybody in your neighborhood goes to, that's a, that's a neighborhood collector that gets okay. you out to an arterial. So we try to get into those. And, you know, the primaries, we, we get on right away. We stay there. Yeah. Just so people know. I want people to know that we get on these roads. We stay on these roads until they're cleared. There's no crystal ball that can tell me exactly how many minutes or hours we're going to be into our second and thirds. It really depends on the snowfall and the rate, how long it snows. Sure. Yes, yeah. it does. So, so there are some, you were talking about the east and west arterials. There are some mm-hmm. really big hills with those east and west arterials. Mm-hmm. Even just to the basic driver going up and down some of those roads. I mean, they're a little, they're a little iffy at best, you know, especially after the snow and ice. Mm-hmm. So do you train your drivers, you know, obviously in the equipment to go up and down some of those steep hills? Or? Yes. Okay. People got to understand that we don't, we're not Montana. We're not Minnesota. Right. We're not North Dakota. Most of those, those are flat, believe it or not. But, uh, you know, we, our winters vary here. Uh, we have drivers that have been here like myself for a long, you know, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And we've probably been in the snow 10 times believe it or not. So when it comes to experience, um, yes, I will say, honestly, yes, we try to get experience we have. And we do that by getting people in that are going to be driving with veteran drivers, people mm-hmm. with experience, and we teach them, get them some time. Other times they, they may be taught the old fashioned way. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, but I'm not saying I'm not, you still put your more veteran drivers on a hill. Sure. If you haven't had much time, you keep them down the valley and let them push some snow and get used to the truck and how it handles down the valley. Right. Then, then you move them up. Absolutely. So that's, it's sometimes it's on the job training, to be honest, but yeah, um, most of the time, 
Yeah. <laughs> I could be most of the time right. If I could jump in too, mm-hmm. um, one thing about the drivers too, during a snow event uh, with the equipment, the number of pieces of equipment that we have, uh, we've really transitioned from what used to be a street-led mm-hmm. um, uh, response uh, for that um, to really a lot of our staff wear a lot of hats. So we've transitioned to, it's still a street-led event in terms of the response, but the drivers of these trucks are the same people cleaning the catch basins that work for the drainage sections. They're the same crews that are maintaining the water systems. Uh, they're the same crews that are doing vegetation work. So we all wear different hats as we need to shift around. And so as Brent's talking um, in terms of pairing them up for training, uh, even preceding the event, if, if, if staff haven't had the opportunity to drive those uh, pieces of equipment, they're very large, mm-hmm. obviously, and uh, get them out when the roads are in good shape, you know, and really become accustomed uh, to doing that. But, you know, I just wanted to really point out as the events or as the weather dictates, whether it's flooding, uh, whether it's snow and ice or, or whatever the case, we shift staff as necessary to respond to those events. So a lot of planning work is done in advance uh, during the summer season. Brent talked about uh, starting in September. Um, he really takes the lead on preparing a lot of our response in terms of capabilities uh, for staffing. So when we do go into event, we lean forward uh, into that, uh, meaning that in, in the September timeframe, not only are trucks, our fleet uh, going through the trucks to prepare them, making sure everything's in order, uh, checking inventory of materials, what we have ordered for the upcoming season mm-hmm. and on hand, and also in terms of our staffing structure. So we do uh, structure to operate 24 hours a day uh, during events. So we have preset uh, 12-hour shifts uh, for that and staff to uh, man or staff those shifts, if you will, uh, with alternate people as well should somebody be out. So there's a tremendous amount of planning work that's done both by Brent and uh, and Bill leading into these events. Definitely want to make sure we're planning ahead on that. Right. There's a lot happening. <laughs> so speaking, um, I want to, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, this is this is big. And I know everybody can't see this, but I know John, uh, Josh oh, and Tracy can. I was actually can. just about to, and, to ask about that. Yeah. Um, a big question we have, and I'm glad this will go yeah. out. I really try to do my best to talk about residential challenges. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, only the people here can see this, but the, uh, both these two can really see why this is a challenge. Uh, this is what they're seeing for everybody to talk about is I have a photo of a plow that's got one of our sanders on it in the middle of the summer, and it shows vehicles parked side by side. Uh, now, just imagine with six inches of snow and a lot more cars because no one went home and they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. The reason why I bring this up is uh, when it comes to residential roads, we do not clear them. Uh, unless you're, you know, where it's going to be system police or fire, it's a, it's a life and death emergency. Um, <clears throat> and it's due to the safety for one, safety for us, anybody in the neighborhoods, plus, you know, our resources. It's just, we don't, we, they've talked about the resources we have, but, you know, we, the city's, you know, it's, we got how many miles a road we're trying to take care of, like, late, late in miles? Yeah. Yeah. About, uh, I don't know, 314 center lane miles. Oh my gosh. Right. Wow. That we have 314 or so miles. That's, That's hard lot. to even right. comprehend. You know, and I realize we're up to what, 130 some odd thousand residents here in Kent as well. But, you know, there still comes a point where we just can't get these trucks down there safely. So sure. there's a lot of people that are, that 
curious to say the least on why we don't. Well, this is exactly why. Yeah. You know, the roads are narrow with parking on both sides. You know, plowing, you're, you're causing windrows. Now you're blocking people in mm -hmm. with snow windrows and they want you to come back. And it just becomes a resource and kind of a safety nightmare in the neighborhoods. And the priority three routes are the residential collectors. So okay. if we can just get off your your uh, residential road onto those main roads through the through the neighborhoods, those roads will probably be treated by that time. And that's probably within 24 to 48 hours after a snowstorm. Okay. So. Okay. Gosh, if, yeah, we do uh, we do definitely get questions uh, via email or uh, social media or phone calls, you know, asking about those residential streets, asking about sidewalks. Uh, you know, it's my understanding that sidewalks are the responsibility of the property owners. Again, just, you know, a resource mm -hmm. thing can't, can't do everything. Yep. Um, but we do right. the most important, um, what's critical, what's going to keep people safe and, and moving. Yeah. So we were talking about clearing the roads, but you need substances to clear some of the roads. You need sand and anti-icer and whatnot. So let's mm -hmm. get into a little bit on what we use to take care of the roads. Uh, yeah, Tracy, there's three resources, I should say, that we do, or three types of materials that we do use. Uh, we use, uh, first off, we use a liquid de-icer, which is calcium chloride. Uh, it's got a boosting agent in it. And basically what the boosting agent is, it's, it's just, uh, so when you, when you spray the material onto the ground, the boosting agent that's in it helps to stick to the ground. Okay. So it doesn't just evaporate or fall sure. off the ground, just stick to the ground. Um, and we apply that to help prevent ice buildup along our bridges, uh, some of our steeper hills and our shady, our shady areas that we have as well. Sure. Uh, so we do that pre uh, anything that comes in for if we get notice of uh, it's going to be we got a solid freeze coming. We'll come in we'll either come in at three in the morning or we'll come in at midnight. We'll do it because it has to be a certain temperature it has to be 38 degrees or dropping for this to take effect. Okay. If it's any warmer, it doesn't work. You, know, you can huh. actually, I think it works all the way down to just under 30, one or, what is it? Is it? Yeah. Where you can't. So I feel like I'm aging myself when I say it's like the reverse of magic shell. Do you remember magic mm -hmm. shell when you would pour it right. on your ice cream and it'd freeze immediately? Instead, it's the reverse right. of it. It is. What this helps too is we like to put it down before any snowstorm. It really helps. Uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit longer for that snow to start bonding. So we put this on prior to a snowstorm too. It kind of, it gives us a little head start. Mm -hmm. And uh, then once the snow does hit, uh, we prefer to use, um, and now, you know, now we got to get into our, uh, our granulars, which is our salt. Mm -hmm. So we use our salt to uh, break up any, any snow and ice buildup uh, that's on the road there. And actually the salt's done a wonderful job too um, when it comes to help. It gets us to other areas quicker. We could put it, we could put salt down on now, for example, on Canyon Drive, and we could leave and head up to Benson and start getting on Benson and so forth. Well, that's just, well, while the salt's over there working. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, the last one would be um, our abrasives, which is our sand. Uh, you know, we need to get anybody out of anywhere. Uh, sand makes for pretty good traction. Uh, we don't use as much sand anymore. Uh, but uh, it really does help in spots where you need to get it to help get people out a little, bit, a, a little bit quicker is all. And uh, I just want to emphasize a little bit, each one of our uh, materials that we use, it takes a lot of decision-making before we send those things out. Because most often the snow that comes in, it starts out as rain. Right. So we can't apply that uh, anti-icer to that because it just dissolved for the course. snow. Yeah snow uh hit and it um but if we get it right just right which we did last year mm -hmm. 
we had uh, came in really dry snow and we actually had drifts that I haven't seen since I've yeah. <laughs> been over oh, Eastern yeah. Washington. Uh, that allows to it creates a um, doesn't allow the ice and snow to bond to okay. the surface and it's able to clear them up faster. So throughout the year, residents can submit service requests through Kent Works for a variety of things, right? Potholes, what have you. How does that, does that change at all during, you know, um, during a winter weather response? Because I imagine a lot of resources are allocated and... It gets quite difficult um, when calls keep coming in for mm -hmm. the same roads and stuff. So right. we just flat flip off the switch. They can't even call. <laughs> 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 just kidding. <laughs> so we try to keep up with as much as But we do have, uh, when we open up the DOC and it's after hours, there's actually a message saying, you know, you know, if it's snow and ice, we get it. We know it. we're going to be out there doing it. Whatever. Right. So. Yeah, that's what we've proactively done uh, in, in recent uh, times during a snow and ice response is try to push a proactive message out uh, through the Kent Works app, uh, letting people know that uh, not to submit a snow and ice type uh, related call uh, that way. We really want people to call us. Mm -hmm. um, our number is 253-856-5600. Normal uh, hours Monday through Friday, uh, from six thirty to four. Well, I mean it's a it's a DOC led event at, event at that point through the response in terms of where staff are positioned, the number of staff uh, that we're using, um, and, and where they're located throughout the city, um, what they're treating with um, in terms of the twelve hour uh, shifts. There's a there's a lean forward, if you will, as we're we're changing shifts and we have a. A shift coming off. There's there's updates. You know, communications passed back and forth. And in terms of uh, the DOC manager, they have a plan, if you will, for this next shift on how they're going to approach it. And they're monitoring conditions, getting feedback uh, from the drivers and stuff, and what they're seeing out there, and just making adjustments accordingly. Um, you know, to that. But it's really a, a lean forward uh, type event uh, in terms of calls during the normal business day. Um, you know, we have staff that will. Um, uh, you know, take those calls and pass that information on to the DOC. But it, uh, we, we kind of evaluate how those are lined up against the conditions our drivers are seeing and the road conditions right there. And we really, we, we, we hear the calls mm -hmm. and uh, we can get to them when we can, but we're really prioritizing these routes and, um, you know, keeping them going uh, through the, the DOC. I do want to add one last thing to Dave's comment too is, uh, sure. um, I'm really glad you brought that up, Josh, because we do get a lot of calls. I mean, obviously people get pinned in, they feel like, and what have you, and they're worried about getting out. And I realize we're in an age of social media, mm -hmm. okay? Yep. Um, but that's not the way to get a hold of us. Right. There's a lot of people who say, help me, or can I get out using Facebook, or using Instagram, or using Twitter, or whatever, X, I guess it is now, whatever it is now. Yeah, we still, <laughs> but, we, we still call <laughs> no, it Twitter. Yeah, we still call it. Whatever it is. But anyhow, please, please call us. Thank you guys for having such a robust sort of description of what the city does to prepare, um, how we respond. Definitely want to make sure our residents have that peace of mind and right. know that their city, you know, isn't scrambling at the last minute or anything. We're very well prepared, preparing all year, and um, the response just gets better. Obviously, you know, depends on how much snow we get every year. Yep. Um, seems like things might be a little drier this year. That's the word on the street. Or the word, <laughs> word from on the, the street? I word love from it. the Nor National Weather Service street, Jim, Jim. I guess. Okay. But uh, yeah, so for our residents that are listening, um, if you want all this information all in one place, uh, you want some pretty visuals, some map, uh, you can get all of that information at kentwa.gov slash winter. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the Public Works uh, numbers 
and uh, all of that information on our website. So definitely check that out and prepare yourself. Uh, there's also great tips on how you can get your home and car ready. So you don't get stuck. <laughs> don't, True. Um, you know, got, got to get your chains if you need them. Got to make sure you got the right tires. Um, don't be that person that, you know, wakes up late, uh, rushing into work with like that. You know, you just, just scraped out just, just to where you can see, window shield. right? Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So, sander behind him. Yeah. Oh, that's right. fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you're driving on the street and you see a plow, don't attempt to pass it. Yeah. Let them uh, have some room to work. Absolutely. Sure. Well, Dave, Brent, Bill, thank you again for being a part of the pod. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Thank you. So, Josh, since we're on this whole winter weather kick, we know what our city is doing to prepare for the roads. But do we know how to prepare for ourselves, like our home, our car and whatnot? So who better? Another SME. We love this, right? Love the SMEs. Love the SMEs. We are bringing in Kimberly Bayheimer and Jenny Kaiser from Emergency Management, Puget Sound Fire. Uh, they're here to kind of tell us what we need for our vehicles because I don't. I don't have an emergency thing in my vehicle. And well, we're going to learn all about we that. We should, today. I mean, right? I have my emergency, you know, muffins and stuff like that, but that's might not cut it in a real emergency. So <laughs> might we, not do that. We brought the experts in. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get into fall and winter since they're here. We're worried about flooding. We're worried about, you know, snow and ice on the roads. So how should we prepare for winter and fall weather? Sure. So to get you started, you should also think about um, being prepared at home, at work, and in your car. Um, so you're thinking about extra supplies, um, maybe ways to get information. So you're paying attention to weather reports. Um, a good resource um, that we've always used is um, makeitthrough.org. Um, that's a collaboration with cities in King County um, that have come together and posted emergency information. So you can get lists about um, what to include in your kit, um, both at home and in your car. Uh, I know that uh, we also have those drive Ken alerts go out. Mm -hmm. They talk about, um, you know, closures for winter weather and stuff. But so let's say, you know, I'm driving, right? I get a, a, an alert, but I don't quite look at my phone, you know? So then all of a sudden I'm driving into a some snow and, and I get stuck. What what if I can't get out? What if I got to yeah. just vibe there for a couple of days, <laughs> you know? Well, hopefully that won't come to that. I mean, hopefully but, it doesn't, but... <laughs> but um, yeah, so one of the first things that you can do is obviously is to prepare to not be stuck is to maintain your car, make sure you have obviously, you know, your, um, oh, your so car is in good that's working condition. she's the expert. <laughs> yes, she's exactly, right? <laughs> Making sure your car is in good working condition, your tires are inflated, that you've got, um, you know, good tread on your tires. Um, always keep a half a tank or more of gas in your car. Mm. So if you do get stuck somewhere, you're not going to run out of gas on that side of the road. Um, and then as far as what you can have in your car um, to have that kind of just-in-case emergency kit, um, we want to think about, you know, water and food. Um, we have, um, like, in, in food, we can talk about, like, uh, granola bars and things that don't take up a lot of space, things like that. That can last a while, um, as well as emergency blankets. I don't know if you've seen those. They kind of look like aluminum foil, um, really but small. But do they really keep you warm, though? They do really keep you warm. I've actually had to use them before, and they, they actually do hold in your heat so wow. well. So if you were trapped in your car in a snow storm or um, anywhere cold and um, have to have that blanket around you it definitely keeps you warm okay um having extra uh, flashlights and batteries and not to put the batteries 
um, necessarily always in the flashlight and keep them separate so that way they don't get corroded and nasty. So when you actually have to use your flashlight, you know that it's going to actually work for you. So keeping those um, just in a small little bag in the back of your car is always great to have in there. Josh, do you have a flashlight in your car? <clears throat> um, let's talk about <laughs> how we get our homes ready. Well, here, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was actually waiting for our experts to come on so I could take some notes okay. and listen to it back, okay. get my, my checklist going, Got like it. our residents that are listening. See and then that you're taking notes. I yes. am. And then head out to the store and then just check those boxes, make sure I got everything I need. Tracy. Okay, Josh. All right. So now that we know what we need to keep in our car, what about our homes? For your homes. So the one thing we want to... To think about, um, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated and expensive. A lot of people get overwhelmed when they think about, oh my gosh, I have to build this huge disaster kit for my home and what do I need to do? So we try to keep it simple and focus on the five basic um, items that you need um, to have, which are um, water, food, a light source, a radio, and then a unique um, item to you, such as contacts or glasses, a, okay. a walker, or cane, whatever, whatever that's unique to you that you would use. Okay. Um, and so when we're talking about for food, so obviously for the home, um, we can have that can be dehydrated foods um, or it can be canned foods. MREs. But if MREs. you're going to do if you're going to do a canned food, you need to make sure that you have your can, can opener. opener. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. You need the can opener. And if you have dehydrated foods then you obviously need to store more water because you need to have the water to make those foods. Um, I really and, like those uh, those mountain house. Mm -hmm. Oh like yeah, the hiking and camping mm -hmm. ones. Mm -hmm. Those are those are actually really good. Yeah, they're yeah, they're pretty good. I don't know if they're like the best emergency food, but she <laughs> she said like on an everyday Friday night dinner. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. She said dehydrate, and I was like, oh, flashbacks. Yeah, it's so good. Better than MREs. Yeah, true. Yes. Mm, yeah, MREs. Last right. case scenario yeah. for sure. And then, um, so for water too, we talk about one gallon of water per person per day, um, which seems like a lot of water, it but does. again, right. You know, I mean, how many, how many people drink a full gallon of water every day when we try, but, um, so you think about that water is also used for, um, for food preparation. So if you had dehydrated food or also for sanitation for, you know, things like that. So mm -hmm. brushing your teeth also as well. So, you know, those little things that you can use water for. Um, light source. So we're talking flashlights, um, solar, solar, um, powered lanterns mm -hmm. work great. Um, try not to use candles being from the fire department. We don't, <laughs> it's a big no, no you know, we on try that not one, to yeah. use those. Um, especially in the event of a disaster, you don't know what gases and fumes are out there. So candles are just always a kind of a no go for us. Um, and then a radio so you can hear emergency communications come across. So if there's any type of alerts um, that you need to evacuate or shelter in place or, you know, what shelters are open, you have that communication. Uh, and, yeah, and then the unique items like I can't go anywhere without my contacts. Sure. So. <laughs> Let's not forget about our four-legged friends, yes. though, at home, too. We have to make sure that they have plenty of food and water, too. Absolutely. Uh, especially in case of an emergency uh, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yep. That would be mm -hmm. one of the unique unique items, too. That could be, you know, if you have animals as well. I know. I've, I personally have a few different portable phone chargers mm -hmm. as well. I think one of them has, like, that solar capability. Oh. Uh, yeah. so that, that's pretty cool. Nice. That's great. Uh, I just wanted to flex on everyone real quick about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure nice. you can find it on Amazon, but whatever. <laughs> I already got one. <laughs> kind of more on the topic of power, right? Uh, a lot of people have like generators uh -huh. um, and they'll use 
those, um, but there are some safety risks associated with those. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, generators and things like that, they can be an absolutely a great resource when the power's out because um, it can give you um, a way to power, you know, a refrigerator or lights or whatever. Um, but absolutely, they have to be uh, maintained and used safely. Um, so a lot of the generators will have um, information from the manufacturer on them that will tell you how to um, use them. But in general, um, you never want to bring them inside. Um, your house or a structure, as well as any kind of like barbecue or any, you know, campfire or anything like that um, needs to be kept outside. Um, the reason for that is carbon monoxide poisoning is a huge hazard. Um, and so just generally day to day to safeguard against that um, inside your home, you should have a carbon monoxide detector. Um, so even if you're using a generator outside, um, you can still detect those fumes in your home and you can be alerted to that. Um, that's a colorless, odorless gas, so it's not something that you're going to be able to smell sure. or see. Um, so that's that's really the largest hazard there. And since we are falling into, get it? You like where I'm going oh, with this one? We're thousand. falling into <laughs> fall this weekend. We're falling back. It's a good time to check our smoke detectors, correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so not only check them to see if they're working, but if they're a battery operated um, smoke detector or smoke alarm, um, then you want to change out those batteries as well. Yep. Don't be that person that gets on the chair and then like, you know, is woken up in the middle of the night, gets on the chair <laughs> in a fit of rage yeah, and right. then yanks it out of the roof and throws it somewhere and forgets about it. Don't be that person. You sound, that sounds, yeah. no, sounds personal there, that Josh. That's not Nope. <laughs> Has not happened to you? Okay. That hasn't happened to me ever. I would like to say also too, when we fall back as, as well as changing our smoke detectors um, and the batteries in them, um, also that's a good time to remind um, everyone to change um, or update the food that you have in your disaster kit. So oh, yeah. if you don't have um, like the MREs and the dehydrated food that lasts for years, but if you actually like keep the canned foods like I do, um, every six months when I change my clocks, I go through and I change my food in my um, emergency kit. That way I know it's not going to go bad. So before it expires, I just put it in my pantry um, and then replace it with newer stuff. So that way sure. I don't have to throw away the food. It's just kind of... Sure. Oh, I'm headed to your place uh, <laughs> yeah. during a zombie, I mean, you know, zombie apocalypse. <laughs> we're, we're, going, we're headed over. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kimberly, Jenny, thank you again for being a part of the pod. I mean, I, this is such great information to get to our residents, especially getting prepared for winter and fall weather because you never know when you could find yourself in an emergency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think the biggest thing is just to be well informed. Um, so mm -hmm. paying attention to the weather. Um, another great resource is Alert King County. Um, that's a public information source for you. Um, we call it our reverse 911. And that's where we can deliver emergency messages to you. Um, so if you just uh, go into a search engine and type in Alert King County, you can sign up for that, register for that, and then you will receive information um, from emergency management. Fantastic. Awesome. And we'll uh, make sure that we update and have you guys back on in the spring to talk a little bit more about the CERT classes yeah. oh, that you guys do. Mm -hmm. Yes, that'd be great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks Fantastic. for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, that's all I got. Okay. <laughs> Well, clearly so, the sugar high from spooky season has completely worn off. It's it's done. Yep. Still and, got my bag of candy though, but we're we're taking it easy. Yeah, I was I gonna just, say. Well, I did, I didn't really go out and trick or treating. I just bought a bag of candy because <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> right. Who's gonna stop me, Tracy? Nobody. Are they red starbursts though? That's confidential. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, I guess we should say goodbye. This has been a lot of talk about flooding and water and craziness. So. Uh, Stay dry. <laughs>
Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, I think we're done. Okay, uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening to our podcast. Uh, we are always looking for feedback mm-hmm. on what we can talk about, trying to incorporate some of that. Uh, if you guys have been enjoying uh, hearing from some city staff, you know, let us let know. Us know. Mm-hmm. We want to know what you guys want to hear. Like, guys. subscribe, and send us emails. We love it. Communications at kentwatt.gov. And share it with your friends and post about it on social media. Yes. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.